No announcements. Hmm. Here I thought Daryl would have something. He'd be able to speak for another 30 minutes. Make my job a little easier. <laughs> but I have an announcement. Something I've been excited about. I turned my computer on this morning. Of course, I get all those things come up. And one of those things is the weather report. We're going to go to 61 degrees by Monday. That's exciting. I can think back from about a couple of weeks back. I told my wife, just tell me when it gets warm and I'll get out of bed. <laughs> it was pretty cold. Yeah, I kind of like the warmth. I hope all of you like the warmth. Maybe with the warm weather, we'll be able to get water back on the building again. If I can find somebody that can use the backhoe, you know, and bust through uh, almost two feet of ice, we might find where the line is frozen. So maybe we all pray about it. Maybe by next week we'll have water on the building. I was uh, on the computer the other day, probably a couple of days ago, and uh, I went to, I think, Steve Quayle's site, and one of the, uh, I think it was number one, uh, uh, article that they had on there was talking about uh, something that I've been and I, I'm sort of in that way. I, I spent probably 16 years in research and development so this is an article on research and development but not in the way that I've been researching it. It's called the replacement brain in case. You know we have a replacement heart if you your heart goes bad you can go to doctor whoever it is, and they'll put you an artificial heart in that can replace your arms. If you've watched the news lately, you see a lot of these young boys coming back from the war, walking around on replacement legs. Well, now they're working on a replacement brain. I can remember years back, uh, some of the fellows I knew back in where I just sold honey, we talked about how computers can take over society, you know, can do the things that we can do. We always had these hot debates on, can a computer do everything a human being can? And uh, at this point, they haven't been able to. In this article, the fellow was pointing out that what, one of the reasons is that they use the wrong logic. They use the logic to you create a mechanical brain that will... Uh, solve the most difficult problems, but if you gave them a problem of a first grader or a kindergartner, it couldn't do it. It just goes blank, because the question that a young child would ask, well, Mommy and Daddy, why do you get out of the rain? Well, because we're going to get wet, but you take a shower. So if you feed that into a computer, the computer says, logically, if you don't want to be in the rain, you want to take a bath. So computers can't handle that. So this whole study is showing that they're going to do and replace that by making a brain that can, quote, think. Well, we know that, as he pointed out in the article, animals respond to situations. Human beings think. And that's because, as Mr. Armstrong pointed out many years ago, we have a spirit in us that animals don't have. You think of somebody getting trapped someplace. 
um, like I told my wife, you take down in Africa and you see a lion attack or a tiger attack an animal, and it gets it down, the animal quits. It just gives up. A human being won't do that, will they? They think. They got their minds from someplace else. And as I was thinking on this sermon, I thought back of Earl Nightingale's sermons, or, or his Lift You Up by the Bootstraps uh, talk he gave. And one of the things he said is, the way you think is the way you are. The way you think is the way you are. So if you think garbage, you're garbage. So we sit down and take everything that is bad to our brain, are we not going to think that way? Are we going to think like that's the way we are? If you think crime, you're a criminal. If you think breaking the commandments, you're going to break the commandments. So you have people that want to keep the commandments, and that's the way they think. They have Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Daniel. Daniel's an interesting man. He thought God's way, didn't he? And that's the way he was, because he thought on those things. So, we, we think that's the way we are. I thought also a lot coming out of uh, Sodom. What happened to his wife? She could not give up what she had. And and she wanted it so bad, she had to turn around and she had to desire it so much. And she became a pillar of salt, which is a, an example to us that if that's what we want, we're going to be just like them. She died like they died. So if we want the world, are we going to be like the world? That's something to think about. But God is not that way. So if you want a title, I'm going to title this thing, Righteousness. You see, our God doesn't think the way we think. He doesn't respond the way we respond. God is a righteous God. God's character, his whole nature, his whole being, and everything he does is righteous. He doesn't do anything unrighteous. And everything he does is holy. And wherever he is, is holy. Think of Moses up there watching the sheep. He saw that bush up on the mountain. He couldn't believe it. This bush is burning, but it doesn't burn up. You know, you see a little bush. You know, how many times have we seen some of these rabbit bushes out there? If it caught on fire, how long would it last? A few minutes? It didn't burn up. He kept seeing it. He kept going up there. And he got up there. And finally God says, I am here. The place where you are is holy. Take off your shoes. In other words, he wanted him to become humble. Humility. God's character is holiness. In Psalm 92, verse 15. Psalm 92, verse 15. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock. This is what David thought. So, where's David's mind? What did David think? He said that the Lord is upright. He's my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in God. 
David could understand because that's the way he thought. His mind was to seek after God. Wasn't he the one that said, I pray three times a day, along with Daniel? His mind was righteousness. He wanted to know what God was. And he said, I can understand that everything God does is righteous because there is no unrighteousness in God. Look at this planet that we live on. Was it created in unrighteousness? How could an unrighteous being create a planet that has an atmosphere just right to support human life? How could he design something that when he knew that the output of the air of these human beings would be carbon dioxide, and eventually he would use up all the oxygen and he'd suffocate. So what did he do? Created plants who take in carbon dioxide, recreate it back to oxygen, so we can continue to live. So we have a spaceship here, basically a spaceship, that has its own atmosphere and it rejuvenates itself. Can't we say that that really is a righteous God that did that? We have that much forethought. Look at water. Of all the elements that we have on the planet, you have all the elements will either be in the form of uh, air or gas, solid, or liquid. On everything in this planet, you take whatever it is and you solidify it, what happens? It's heavy. That's the heaviest state when it becomes a solid. But not water. Isn't it different? It's fantastic that a, far, a, a God could look that far in the future and say, well, if I made the water to be the heaviest when it's solid, the whole planet would be ice. Water solid at the most dense point, somewhere around 32 degrees. Below that, it expands. Above that, it expands. So ice floats, so we don't have an ice planet. Isn't that righteousness? That's what our God did. He thought that far ahead. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. So we can look at those works and say, that was holy. One of these mountains. He's got this planet set at the right spot that we get just the right amount of sun and just the right amount of darkness to support life. So all his works, everything that we can see, whether it be an animal, a plant, these little microbes, that's interesting there, microbes in the soil that break the soil down, that feed the plants, that feed the animals, that feed the men. I mean, I don't desire to go out there and take a spoonful of these rocks out here and try to chew them up, and neither do you. But God created a way that a plant can do that, and then we can eat the plants, and we're still doing the same thing in a roundabout way. And it tastes good, too. We wouldn't have to eat all that dirt. 
We show how righteousness God is when we think back, as I mentioned earlier, about Abraham speaking to God in Genesis 18.25. God, Christ, God came to Abraham, remember? This is when he came there and he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So, the word Christ, Emmanuel, we can read. Abraham could have said Emmanuel because that was God with him, came to him with two angels and told him what he was going to do. I'm going to go over here and wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did he tell him that? Because Lot lived there. And God considered Lot righteous. So God came to Abraham and said, you know what? I'm tired of these two, two cities. I'm going to wipe them out. Now, notice what Abraham said, because, you see, Abraham knew he was going to wipe them out. He knew that God said he was going to do it. It's going to happen. It's as good as done. But Abraham knew Lot was there. And he said, Lot's been trying. He's been working at it. He loves you. So here in verse 25 of chapter 18, Abraham speaking to God that be far from you to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Now, would we be able to do that? Could we talk to our God that way? Abraham said, no, wait a minute. It's far be to you to slay the righteous with the wicked. I mean, you're a righteous God. Would you do that? Would you actually go out there and slay the righteous? Can... Would I be able to go up to my God and say in prayer, Wait a minute, Father. Are you going to destroy those good people along with the bad people? Well, we know 90% of the world is going to die. Do we go to God and say, well, What about those that are righteous and striving to do your help? Are you going to take them out too? He said, Would uh, to slay the righteous with the wicked? And that the righteous should be as the wicked? I mean, you're going to consider the righteous people just as bad as the wicked people? It's interesting that Abraham knew God and knew that he was that righteous that he could approach him that way and say, that's not your character. It's not your character to take out righteous people with the wicked. Well, you would say, well, he took out others that way. But when you read the story of those, you find out that he had a purpose. He spared them. He didn't take them out because he considered them bad people. He spared them, just like Enoch. He took Enoch so he wouldn't see the destruction, that he wouldn't be involved in all that chaos that was going to come about. And others that he took through the years, he took them out so that they wouldn't be caught in that trap with the wicked. No? Abraham knew God. He knew God was a righteous God. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Moses speaking, saying, He, God, is a rock. His work is perfect. Everything he did, remember back in Genesis chapter 1, said, All that I have done was perfect and good. Everything was great. Everything was fantastic that I've done. I didn't do anything wrong. So Moses is saying, he's a rock. His work is perfect. 
for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. Moses knew that. He was able to speak and say, God is righteous. He's just. He's truthful. He's loving. He's kind. Let's go back here to Job for a moment. Job had his problems. I guess we all, one degree or another, have our problems too. Job chapter 8, back in verse 7. Um, back in verse 7, let's go verse 19 to 7. How long will you not de- uh, depart from me? Nor let me alone till I, uh, until I swallow down my spittle. So here Job is He's feeling sorry for himself. Why don't you leave me alone? So I can swallow my spit, you know. I have sinned. He said, I recognize I'm a sinner. What shall I do unto you? You, uh, Oh, you uh, perverter of men. Why have you set me as a mark against you? Why are you making me a mark? I understand I'm a sinner. I've been trying to do these things. Why do you make me a mark? to other people. So that I am a burden to myself. And what do you, uh, what, and why not, uh, does you not pardon my transgressions? Well, he's asked, why are you pardoning my transgressions? He's taking God to task. And take away mine iniquity. And now shall I sleep in the dust and you shall seek me in the morning. But I shall not be. He said, I'm going to die. Well, take me away. Let me die. Now, notice in verse 8, Bildad the Shuhite, answering in a way for God. He says, how long will you speak these things, and how long shall the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? He said, well, stop and think. You're just putting out a lot of hot air here. Does God pervert judgment? He asked him a question. I ask you the same thing. Does God pervert judgment? Does he pervert? We already read. He's a righteous God. Everything he does is right and true. Or does the Almighty pervert justice? Questions. Do we ask those same things? Do we look at our God and say, you know, I'm sick. Why aren't you hitting me? Are you... Are you not righteous, God? Are you not thinking of me? That's what Bildad the Shuhite was pointing out to Job. Because you are so self-concerned about yourself, but there's a bigger picture out here than you. Is God perverting judgment? No. God doesn't pervert judgment. Not a bit. So how is our God? Is he righteous? And in verse 20, Behold, God, Bill Dad the Shuhite still speaking, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evil doers. So, Bildad had to point out to Job, Wake up, man. You're pointing the finger at God when God is righteous. When it's yourself that needs to take a look at what you're doing. Notice First Peter now. 1 Peter 1. We're looking at 
is God righteous? So now we can go and see what Peter had to say. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. We're looking at a righteous God. But as he which has called you is holy. So Peter understood something, didn't he? He said, God has called each and every one of us today as well as yesterday and those that he will continue to select to be a part of the bride of Christ. But as he which is holy, uh, which calls you is holy, so you, uh, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. So he's saying, because God is holy, you need to be holy. Because it is written, be you holy, for I am holy. God said, I am holy. I am right. Everything that I do is right and just and good. So he wants us to be that way too, doesn't he? Our God is a righteous God. In Revelation 16, verse 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord Almighty, true righteous are your judgments. So even the angels are pointing out the fact that not only the Father, but the Son, Emmanuel, is righteous. Everything they do is righteous. And everything they do. In Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses, verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So even punishing people, even when God took out the whole Egyptian army, it was righteousness. Because God doesn't do unrighteousness. So seeing that it is a righteous thing that God recompense evil upon those that are evil. It's, that's the right thing to do. Because he knows he can bring them back and teach them in a time when they will be able to learn. But right now they're not. Yes, our God is holy. And holiness is God's righteous nature. You know that? By being holy makes his nature righteous. That's the nature of God, the way he lives. And it's one of the, and it's one of the essential things that God requires of his people. He requires us to be holy. You know that? Because he is, and we just read that back here, and we in First Peter where it says, be you holy. He requires that because that's his nature to be holy. And so he says, I want you to be that way too. So become holy. Revelation 15, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord. Okay? But there are a lot of people that don't fear God. They just don't fear God. And so, uh, uh, asking here, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy. Of all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are made manifest. Everybody is going to either come and worship God or not exist again. That's the choice. There's only two ways. God's way and loving Him and becoming holy. 
like he's holy or not. This won't exist. Isaiah 6, verse 3. And one cried unto another, and here we're looking at time when Isaiah had that vision and saw these angels. And notice what the angels had to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his full of his glory. They emphasized the fact, holy, holy, holy is God. Do we recognize our God as being holy and righteous? That's something we need to think about. But it is our requirement then. If God is holy, and he says, as I am holy, I want you to be holy. God is righteous, he wants us to be righteous. Then, our relationship to God needs to become righteous, doesn't it? Righteousness then becomes the relationship, our relationship with God. And unless we can become righteous, it's difficult to have a relationship with God. We know that He does away with the perverse things. We know that He uh, is righteous. We know that He's holy. He expects us to live like He lives. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Are we righteous? Do we have that contact with God? Jeremiah 9:23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Wow. So he says, Wait a minute. Don't sit out there and glory in all the knowledge that you have. You know, maybe you've got five degrees behind your name. Remember, they used to talk about that in, in Worldwide. The PhD means more piled higher and deeper. <laughs> See a little, uh, a little uh, cartoon there in the, I guess that was on Whale's website too, showed the back end of a septic truck. It said, caution may contain political promises. <laughs> so, so all of our wisdom and all the knowledge we have, he says, thus says the Lord, let not men... Let not the wise glory in their wisdom. A lot of these people that are political people, they glory in their wisdom. And neither let the mighty man glory in the might. And let not the rich glory in his his riches. Because we know it's going to come a time, they'll cast the gold in the street, won't they? They'll cast their money in the street. Well, you have to take a wheelbarrow load of dollar bills down to get a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread. You know we're in problems. Because you can't eat the money. So, what good is the money? That's not going to do any good, is it? Money is only good as a tool to help things in this life. But what's more important is, but let him, verse 24, glory, uh, let him that glory, glory in this. So, here's what we're... The glory in not our wisdom, not our knowledge and all the teachings that we have and all the schools we've gone to and how great we are on the job. I might be the best ditch digger in the world, but don't worry about that. I might be the most, the greatest mechanic. I might be the greatest 
basket weaver or cook. He said, well, let him, that glory is glory in this, that he understands and knows me, God says. You want to glory in something. You want to, you want to impress me, then show that you understand and know me. How do you know God? You put your nose in his book. You get on your knees and say, I need help. I need your understanding. I need your wisdom. I need your knowledge. Who am I? But dirt. That I am the Lord which ex- executes loving kindness. Can you imagine? God is exercising loving kindness. Do we understand that? Do we know our God? If we know it, we'll understand. Yeah, he, he exercises loving kindness. He exercises judgment, doesn't he? Right judgment. And they case down there these two border guards. We put them in jail. Pardon the druggies. Is that right judgment? God doesn't have that kind of judgment, does he? He has right judgment and righteousness in the earth. God, that's our God. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. God delights in righteousness, loving kindness, judgment. So that's what we should form our minds around. If we're going to know our God, he wants us to be that way too. He wants us to look like him, talk like him, walk like him, act like him. And it's hard. We're still human, aren't we? We still make mistakes. We still open our mouth and once in a while change feet. Sometimes we put both of them in. <laughs> but that's not God. And if we know our God, we recognize that He delights in these things. And that's what we're going to set our goal to. To do those things He wants to do. He likes right judgment. Not pervert judgment. He likes, and he dwells in loving kindness. How about with each other? Do we really love each other? Have that kind of kindness that we will give everything for a brother or sister? And we're all a family? Are we willing to give up everything? That's what God is. Didn't he give up? Didn't the Father say, okay, I'll let you go? His friend, his companion, gave up eternity to come to the earth. Are we ready to go that? That's what God, that's our God. That's the kind of loving kindness that he has. Can we do that? How about Abraham giving up a son? He loved God so much he said, okay, I'll sacrifice my son. I find it difficult to take a grandchild and say, hey, okay, here, we'll just burn him on the fire. But if we really love God, we will go that far, won't we? Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, 23 through 25. I have sworn by myself the words have gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. When God makes a commitment... It's going out. 
and it returns. That unto every, that unto me every knee shall bow. God says the time is coming when every knee, every human being is going to recognize his righteousness, his glory, his holiness, and they will bow. And every tongue shall swear that he is God. It's going to come. It's not going to return. And shall, and surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Do we have strength? Are we righteous? Only through Christ. Only through the Father. Even through Him shall men come, and all that, that are incensed against Him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. There is coming a time that our righteousness is going to come through God, shall come through our Lord. First Corinthians. Are we righteous? Are we righteous ourselves? You need to think about that. Here in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we know in 27, talks about, so you know your calling. That not many wise and mighty are called. And the base things of this world, and the things which are despised, has God chosen. So, we can't say, hey, I'm something great of myself, can I? No. God says he chose the base things of this world, the things that are despised. So, look at yourself. We're going to come to a time, Daryl pointed out time and time again, it's going to be the church against the world. But we've got a bigger factor on our side, don't we? We've got God. So, all the world is only a drop in the bucket. Only a drop in the bucket. So we're the base things, yes, the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So he's going to take those people because he's going to convert base things to righteous things, isn't he? He's going to convert base things, nothing, to holiness. That no flesh should glory in God's presence. But of him are you in Christ Emmanuel. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God did that with the Word, with the, the God that created the planet through the direction of the eternal. That according as it is written, he that glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. So that everything that we do, we don't take pleasure or glory or greatness to ourselves. God wants us to give all the glory and all the honor to Him because the only way we're going to be glory, glorifying or being able to do any of those things is that we do it through Christ in us. So true righteousness then Man's righteousness is defined in terms of God. What righteousness we have, we have to define it back to God. It is right living, holy living, 
according to God's standard. And we've been hearing that for quite a while now. And we have to change our way, our standards, to God's standards. We have to change our thinking to God's thinking. So I asked that question earlier. The way you are said the way you think is the way you are. So we have to change that thinking. And that's conversion, isn't it? That's repentance. And we're hearing that time and time again. We have to change our thoughts, our actions, our way of life, the way we walk, the way God does things. So we basically have to think like God. Not like men, but like God. And how are we going to do that? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25 said, And it shall be our righteousness if we obey to do these, these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So we start by becoming righteous, thinking like God. By what? Taking the commandments that God gave to us and living by them. You know, just last week we were told that there's a lot of idols out there that we put up, things that we put in front of God. Well, if that's the case, and we're not looking into our own personal life and seeing what part of the commandments do I fall short on, then we're not thinking like God, are we? He gave us those commandments. And Christ himself said, my way is easy. My burden is light. But we make it difficult. All we have to do is let God tell us what to do. And we get worried, you know, I get worried, I get worried about a lot of things. And so then you get problems from worrying. And that doesn't do any good. Because if you think like Christ, you don't have worrying problems. Christ will take care of everything. So we start with the commandments. And whether it be the first commandment, having no other gods in front of us. And there can be a lot of things. Jobs, money, family, brain, knowledge, money. You know, everything we have we can put in front of our God. We can have a lot of things to the end, which is coveting, which is the same thing. And it goes from one side to the other and cover both, cover everything. We covet everything. So we have to start, if we're going to walk, talk, and think like God, if we're going to be righteous people, we must start first with the commandments and analyze our life based on, based on that area. You know, it's difficult to lay in bed maybe at night, just going to sleep and saying, uh, what have I done today? How did I respond toward God today? Or when I get up in the morning and say, okay, so often want to do is get up and say, Father, thank you for another opportunity to change what I've been doing. <laughs> and like Paul said, there are things I know to do right and I don't do them. Those are things I wind up doing. And I get up in the morning and say, Father, I know I do a lot of things wrong. I don't want to do it. Help me. And I know the right things. I know to start with the commandments. I don't always do that. Sometimes you find that hard, don't you? It's easy to slip backward, to make a mistake. 
Sometimes you want to stay in bed just so you don't sin again. I figure I wake up in the morning and say, wow, I've got another opportunity. I haven't done anything wrong. Maybe I'll just stay here. Because <laughs> I get out of bed, the first thing I do is open my mouth. Okay. I start down the wrong path again. Pretty easy, isn't it? Pretty, pretty easy to do something like that. In Psalm chapter 1, David speaking, Blessed is the man that walks, not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay, I'm getting out of bed this morning. Maybe I ought to think about that. This is Psalm 1, verse 1. Maybe I ought to take and try to steer myself away from the counsel of the ungodly. Maybe I need to try to get some counsel from the godly. Maybe I need to find these godly people. You know, my family like we have here. You know, you know you're a family. You're godly people. Maybe I need to walk in your counsel. You know, help me today. You'd probably tell me to stay in bed too. <laughs> so blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So there's a step forward in it, keeping the commandments, and now we're not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stand in the way of sinners. So, wait a minute. We've got a lot of people sinning here and there in other places. Are we going to stand with them? You know, think about that. You don't want to stand in their way, the way that they go. Well, maybe I fudge a little bit on the truth, or maybe I take a little bit extra money where I shouldn't have been, or maybe I uh, didn't do this right, or I could have done a better job, but, you know, it's good enough. Is that, is that the path that we try to take? No. That's the path of the way of sinners. So when you get out of bed in the morning, you say, Dad, help me. You know? I don't want to walk that way. I don't want to be do those things. I don't want to take in, you know, what you bring into your mind is where you're going to be. So if we take in a lot of garbage from wherever source it comes from, whether it be with a group of people and they start talking of uh, what they call risque jokes, you know, shady jokes, um, jokes that put people down, no, we don't want to be that way. You don't want to walk in that path, do you? Nor sit in the seat of scornful. That's a tough job, isn't it? Isn't it easy to say, oh, so-and-so did something. I can do it better. Are you scorning them? Are you putting them down? That's sometimes easy to do, isn't it? Uh, and here, David said, you're blessed if that's not the way you get but if you go those paths, maybe you're not blessed so much. We want to be righteous. We don't want to be unrighteous. And it's talking about unrighteousness is ungodly. Unrighteousness is sinning. sinning. Unrighteousness is backbiting, putting down, finding fault, accusing, uh, whatever it gets to. Isaiah 66.2 is another indication. We'll cover this. Most of you probably have memorized it. It says, For all these things is my hand made. God talking about the universe, talking about the planet, talking about the animals and the air and the human beings, all that stuff. He says, All this stuff I've made. Everything out here, this is mine. I made it all. So all the gold on a, and all the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. So all the cattle stops. He did it all. So 
For all these things in my hand made, and these things have been, says the Lord. But here's what I want. This is what I'm looking for in a righteous person. But to this man, meaning mankind, men and women, boys and girls, young people, us old people, he's talking to all of us, that this is what I want. But unto this person will I look, even to him that is poor and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. Trembles at the word of God. How many times has God inspired us through sermon to make a change? And we sat back and said, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm glad he's telling people about that. Maybe you ought to tell Charlotte or Nelson. Maybe you ought to tell somebody else over here, that other person there. But hey, I'm doing this thing right. Maybe he said, don't eat a lot of sugar. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, a little bit now. I mean, you know. Are we trembling at God's word? Is it what comes from God as he inspires it? Do we sit there and say, ah, that means me. He's talking to me. Do I really believe and tremble that that's God's word? This is coming from a righteous God who has righteous judgment, who has loving kindness, and who will punish the evil righteously. We spank our children, and, and nowadays they say, if you spank your child, you're going to destroy them so you're a bad person will put you in jail. God says, if you're wrong, I'm going to correct you. Because I love you, I will correct you. I will spite you. Maybe in words. But sometimes we don't do that to our children. Because it might hurt the little kiddies. You know, swat on a hanging won't hurt. But, but it might. It might leave a little bit of redness. But God spanks us, doesn't he? And do we tremble when he does that? Because he said, that's who I look to. So I look at you. If you say, okay... You've got the right guy now. I'm the guilty party. Is that the way we think? Something to think about. Psalm chapter 15. Here where God's talking about who's going to buy this tabernacle. I'm going to read this from the New, Inter- uh, the New Living Translation. In verse 1, in King James says, Who shall abide... In your tabernacle, who shall dwell in your holy hill? So he's asking a question. David's asking a question of God. Who is it that's going to be able to dwell in your temple? Who's going to be able to dwell in your mountain, in your government? Who's going to be able to do that? Ask that question. And the New Living Translation is, who may worship... In your sanctuary, O Lord. So here, talking about today, who's able to come here and worship the great God, the righteous God, the holy God in his sanctuary? Who can do that? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill into your government? Who has that right to come up there? We need to think about that. Those in verse 2. Those who lead blameless lives. Oh, wait a minute. 
I'm a human being. I can't say I'm blameless. Not when I get out of bed in the morning and take three steps. I already got a fault someplace down the line. But those that begin to live a blameless life and do what is right. So he's telling us. He's giving us the answer. That who can be there if you have a blameless life and you do what's right? Speaking the truth from a sincere heart. When you speak the truth, it's sincerity. It's truth. You live that way. Those who refuse to slander others or harm their neighbor. Good keys. We wanted to know. How can we become righteous? Here's an answer. Those who despise uh, persistent sinners. You know, people sin and sin and sin and sin. You say, hey, I don't want you around anymore. And honor the faithful followers of God. So you bring honor to those that are faithfully following Emmanuel. You put out the sinners, you don't want them around, but you take and honor the faithful followers of Emmanuel. And keep their promises even when it hurts. How about that? You make a promise that I'm going to do this and then fall back on it? Or do you do it because you promise even if it's to your hurt? Even if it means you lost a lot in the process. Abraham promised that he'd obey God and God said, offer your son. And what did he do? He offered his son. The father promised that he would give us a way out. And what did he do? He offered his son. Do we do the same thing? Do we keep our promise even to our hurt? Those who do not charge interest on the money they lend and who refuse to accept bribes to testify against the innocent. Well, I brought out that case about those two mortar guards down there. What happened there? A man accepted a bribe to, to testify against two other people. And they turned him loose. I mean, his bribe was, we'll expunge your theft, your drug running, your killing of little kids and older people if you just testify. And so they did. Such people, those people that are honorable all the way down through here are those that will stand firm forever. If you fit, if you follow those patterns, you're going to stand forever. Your faith is strong. You'll do those things that's right in the sight of God. So how does our righteousness come then? Because we are something great. No, we learn. We're nothing. You know what First Corinthians say? We're nothing. We're dirt. Our righteousness can only come from God through His justification. God is the one that justifies us. No matter what we do, we have to do the best we can we have to work all we can, but it is only God that justifies. 
So he looks down and he says, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. But he can justify your actions. In Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, the just shall live by faith. So this is something we have to do. We have to begin to live by faith. The just live by faith. Do we live by faith? How is our faith? In Romans 3 verse 24 saying, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Emmanuel. So we are justified freely. We can't earn it. But we have to have faith and trust in God because it is his loving kindness that gives it to us. If we read through Proverbs, let's go to Proverbs 17. I think that's the one I wanted there. Man can't, of his own, cannot make himself righteous. There's no way we can of our own accord make ourselves righteous. Let's see, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. He that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. So, if we try to justify the wicked people for the things they do, or we condemn the just, we're an abomination to God. So, no matter what you or I do, we try to justify somebody else's works, it doesn't mean anything to God. Because it is God that does the condemnation. It is God that justifies. It is God that makes everything right. Uh, Romans chapter 4. I have most of the scripture written down. It's easier because I write them in big letters and that way I can see them. Romans 4. God gives righteousness or accounts righteousness to us uh, through Emmanuel. Romans 4. Romans 4 verse 3. For what say the Scriptures? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So here it was Abraham's faith, Abraham's trust in God that made him righteous. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. So if you do something, if you feel that all that you're doing, you're working, you're striving, you're trying your best, all that you can say is, God owes it to me. But that's not what Abraham did. He believed God. He trusted God. And that's where righteousness came. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So it is our faith and our trust that God will take care of us. 
whatever the matter be. That's what makes us righteous. That's what justifies us. God counts that for righteousness to us. And we want to be righteous. So what do we do? We walk like God. We walk like God because we believe that that's the way to live. We talk like God because we believe that's the way God wants us to do. And it's not because we do it because we have to, or we do it because we expect to gain something from it. Because we want to love God enough that we feel that that he wants that kind of love. And then he will count that for righteous. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You're blessed when your sins are covered. How are your sins covered? When God hung on a stake and gave his life and the blood poured out on the ground, that covered your sins. So you are blessed by what? By Christ. By Emmanuel. By God. So our righteousness can only come and our only justification can come through the death of Christ. Through the resurrection by the Father. And no matter what we do, there's nothing we can do. He said that there, Christ said that there's none of us that's really clean. We need to be cleaned up, didn't he? He was talking to the scribes and Pharisees who talked about how great things looked on the outside. Well, do you look good on the outside? What's inside? You might look righteous, and a lot of people are that way. And a lot of people say, man, you're really a righteous person. And what on the inside? I mean, they thought that about um, the one televangelist. And then, then they put him in jail for the things he did wrong. So the outside, he looked great. He could speak good. He had good charisma. He could capture a lot of people. He sounded like a real righteous person. Why did he go to jail? Because he was corrupt inside. So Christ told us, he might look good on the outside, but he talked to the scribes and Pharisees said, start inside, clean from the inside out. You want to be righteous, you've got to clean the inside first. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Who can say that? Can you say that? No, you can't say that. It was Christ that cleans us, isn't it? Our faith and trust in God. Turn over to James. I got a lot more here, not a lot of time. Maybe I can go over time for an hour. Daryl shaking his head no. <laughs> I'll get through it. James chapter 4, verse 8, James 4, verse 8. This is how we're going to become righteous, some of the things that we need to do to become righteous. And 
and work at it. Verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's some things that we've got to do. First, we've got to come and get on our knees in front of our Creator. That's why it's greatest to do it first thing in the morning. Job and David said they get on their knees at noon before they went to bed because now they could take half the day and say, well, I can look back at half the day and I did all these things wrong. So they wanted to, they wanted to draw close to God. You're drawing close to God. And the closer you get to God, any situation comes up, first thing comes to your mind, help me. Where am I going wrong? Show me the right things. You go to God. So draw nigh to God, he will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands. How many times have we heard that? Get rid of everything we're doing wrong. We put our hands to the wrong things on a daily basis? So get rid of that. We don't like to do that. Don't do it. And he says, you're sinners. He says, cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your heart so you only take in those things that are pure. God is pure. Bring in those, those things pure in your heart. And he said, because you're double-minded, because you want to have a mind in the world and a mind in God. You want to have eat from God's table like Terry was talking about, she had those two tables. They have all the same food. One, they didn't know what to do. The self-righteous. The others helped each other. So we want to eat from God's table, but we also want to eat from Satan's table. So we want to be fence-sitters or straddlers. And hopefully it's not a razor fence. And hopefully it's not a banana peeling on one side that you might slip, see? God says, don't be double-minded. Don't have your mind in the two things. Don't get hung up on the wrong things. If you're going to get righteous, you've got to get righteous all the way. It's got to be 100%. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Almighty and He shall lift you up. Again, it gets down to the very basic things. You humble yourself. What did Moses do when they attacked him for a base in the Byron and the 270 elders of Israel? Did he backbite them? Did he jump out and say, look, I'm in charge here. Don't come at me. No, what did Moses do? He humbled himself. He fell to the ground, tore his clothes, and cried out to God, have mercy. Who's right? Who's close to God? Where was Moses' mind? Where were their minds? Where is my mind? Where is your mind? It's something to think about. God wants us to humble ourselves in His sight. Which takes us out of being self-righteous, doesn't it? And if you're humble yourself in the sight of God... You can't be self-righteous. Revelation chapter 17, I mean chapter 3 verse 17 talks about who? Laodicea in church? What do they say? Well, I'm great. I don't need anything else. What kind of a mindset is that? Is it a humbling? Or it is, I'm pretty good. Hey, 
I attend church every day. I, I can read the scriptures. I can speak. I can read songs. I can be in charge of all this and that and everything. Do I need to have any more? Do I need to repent of what? Re- repent? Change what? No. Is that falling on your knees and saying, hey, I'm a piece of dirt. What did Christ do? Was Christ self-righteous? Or did he say, I of myself can do nothing? He's God in the flesh. And he said, I can do nothing of myself what the Father tells me that I do. What's the contrast? Righteousness or self-righteousness? What do we say? Can we go up there and put a brother or sister down because I've got all this knowledge about God's Word and I can just make you feel like a piece of dirt? Well, maybe the one feeling like a piece of dirt is really trying to become humble. (laughs) Where do you stand? Something to think about. We can't be self-righteous. They are the sins of self-righteous. When we all came out of the world wide, we all had at least a little bit of an idea that we were it. We were God's special people. Of course, we got kicked down, got put out, and bounced around for a while. And now God's beginning to open up to us some understanding. What do we do? Say, well, we're something special. No. No. We're only getting this because either we're on our knees and humbling ourselves or we're just humbling ourselves. We're realizing we don't have anything. And we're really appreciative to God to say, I don't know it. Teach me. I want to look like you. We can't be self-righteous. There's only one way to go then. That's God's way, isn't it? God's way. If you've got an attitude of self-righteousness, you've got to get rid of that. Do you think you're great and need to do something better? Put that aside. Christ is holy. God is holy. Everything they do is holy. Everything they do is right. They're right, righteous, true. God is righteous. You want to look like him? You want to be righteous then. Christ even said, there's nobody good. No, not one person. And there's no righteous people in the reason. Unless God's in you, it is Christ in you that is righteousness. It is Christ in you that is holy. So Paul told us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we become a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. That means don't go out there and kill yourself. You still live on a daily basis. Getting on your knees, you're sacrificing the things of this world or the things of God. You're sacrificing Satan's way of life, Satan's food, Satan's table for God's way. That's a living sacrifice. You're willing to turn your back on it. We don't want to be lost life, do we? We don't want to turn around and say, oh, but I've got to be back there. I need this of that part of that way of life. Because what happened? I mean, it's an example. 
if that's the way we want to be, if we want to be with Satan, we're going to be there. Because that's the way we think. But if we want to be with God, then we're going to be with God, and we're going to think godly, we're going to live godly, and we're going to become godly righteous. One little thing i got left to do. Put down here. To write yourself a report card. <laughs> I don't know. Be, I was going to bring a big poster up here and all this stuff on it, but I didn't get around to it. That's one of them around to, so you didn't get around to. But write yourself a report card. And you can list it in excellent, good, fair, poor, plain, failed. And the categories will be, number one, God's commandments on a daily basis. And I say, I keep them, I'm excellent, I can do good, I'm good, well, that's, I, I do okay. Well, I can sometimes get to it. Or I plain failed it today. Well, how would you know that? Because you get up in the morning and say, Thank you, Father. I've got another opportunity. Come at noon and say, Man, I really slipped a little bit here through this morning part, and I helped me through the rest of the day. And then we go to bed at night, we can write the report card up and say, How you did? It's your report card. It's how you do. Are you working toward being righteous? Righteousness is godliness. Holiness is godliness. So we write that up, starting with the commandments. The love of God, we break it down as Christ did. The love of God, the love for man. And then we go down and take the fruits of the Spirit. (laughs) Category each one of them. Love, joy, am I joyful? Or I just get plain mean and ugly throughout the day. Am I at peace with Everybody with nature, with God. To take all those, write yourself a report card. See how you stand. God is righteous. God is holy. You can't earn it with something he gives to you. You can't become righteous on your own self. Self-righteous. If you're righteous, you're humble. If you're humble, God's in you. So, think on that this week. We have a choice. We have a God who's righteous, who's offered us eternal life. We have the God of this world, Satan, the devil, who's offered us what looks to be good, which seems good to our nature, but it kills us and makes us unrighteous, selfish, a thief, a crook, a liar. You know, you name all those things. That's Satan. We can have the opportunity. And here it is. You can judge yourself on this. God said, all his words are holy. It was written here for us by holy men as God moved them to write. So this is God's table. Righteousness is eternal life. 
write your report cards.